I don't like being deceived. I don't guess anybody does. I guess there's an expression that says, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So we're supposed to get kind of like get smarter as we move along, right? And older and wiser and not get faked out so much. But actually, I think this the whole world, is, I think it's incredibly complex. I think it's hard sometimes to uh, figure all this stuff out. We've been in a series of messages where we've I've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous message that Jesus ever shared. It's just it's an incredible message. Uh, it's like if you want to know what Jesus thought about something, it was in that message. He's, he covered so many different topics, everything from happiness to influence. How do you relate to your enemies? Relationships, marriage, divorce, being authentic, being real, worry, and judgmentalism. All these different topics he covered in this, this, this incredible one message, as he comes toward the end of it, what he does is he wants to talk about, well, being deceived. And he points out three different ways that we can fall victim to deception and be tricked. Now, when you look at this at first, it's, it's going to be a little surprising to you. So I think I'm going to take you for a nice little ride this morning. Let's go. Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13, it says this, Enter through the narrow gate. This is a passage you've heard before. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, we have a tendency to think, you just walk around and you ask people, the majority of people, you, say, you think, is there only one way that you can find your way to God? And if you talk to people around the world, you're going to find a lot of people don't agree with that statement. In fact, I've talked to people that are not Christians, and they just think it's arrogant. Gee, how could he say such a thing? I mean, how could that possibly be true that there's only one way? Because, I mean, should there be multiple ways to get to God? I mean, it, it should be. Isn't that kind of almost intuitive? Well, guess what? I can understand why you think it'd be easy. Because in this day and age, well, here's what I've been going through. Okay, I got tired of paying the cable bill, so I thought, I'll cut the cable. So what do you do then? Okay, which Internet service are you going to continue to use? What bundle? Well, are you going to use Hulu? Are you going to use Netflix? Are you going to use Sling TV? How about YouTube TV? How about any other of the others that aren't so big? And so you start trying to put all these things together. You've got all these incredible choices about, and then even within some of those, you have other choices within them, right? So we have all these different choices just about how we're going to consume entertainment, news, and things of that nature. Choices. I go to Starbucks, but I hardly, I don't spend very much money there because I've learned a little secret. Ask me about it, and I'll tell you about it sometime. But so I go in there mostly and order black coffee. But when I go in there, other people... They have these uh, very complex things that they order. They'll, they'll say things like, I want a grande quad, non-fat, one pump, no whip mocha, extra hot. And I'm feeling really sorry for the person behind the counter that's got to keep up with all that kind of stuff because it sounds like they mean business. That's the way I want it. I don't want any other way. You know, uh, triple venti, half sweet, non-fat, caramel macchiato. Okay, good. Okay, that's good. Say that fast sometimes. What I found out from reading is that 
Starbucks says if you were to take the combinations that are possible in a Starbucks, there are actually 80,000 different ways that you could order a coffee in a Starbucks. Amazing, isn't it? It's really simple when I go in. I want a tall coffee. Now, the funny thing is, what they call a tall is a what? Small. Okay, that's funny. Word choice. Anyway, so a little bit of deception right there, right? Okay, anyway. So a small co- I get a small coffee, and I, um, that's it. I need to drink black coffee. I don't even put anything in it. I like it. The stronger and nastier it is, the better I like it. <laughs> so when I have coffee, if it doesn't punch me in the face, I'm not happy. So I have all these choices, and I could just go on and on. So why not have all these choices with God? It seems like, it seems like we should have all these choices. When we start, okay, let's look at some of the choices. Let's look at the biggies. Well, okay, the biggies are, well, you have different texts, right? Well, we have the Bible. Okay, we got the Bible. Then we've got things like what? The the Gita from the Hindu text. We have the sutras from Buddhism. We have the Quran from the Muslim or Islam faith. We have the Book of Mormon from Mormons. Okay, wait a minute now. If you've ever read any of those things, they're not anything like and then you look at the, the religious leaders we have that come to mind here. We've got, okay, you're going to have to choose between Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad, or Jesus. Wait a minute. Things are starting to get complicated. So which group are you going to pick? Are you going to pick to be a part of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Judaism or Scientology or the Mormons or... And, we can send out for pizza about midnight when I finish listing all the possibilities. It's confusing. It's bewildering. And it seems like to be good-natured, we'd have to say that we can't just simply say there's only one way to connect with God. You're free to choose. Pick your path. But wait a minute now, Buddhism. There are many different kinds of Buddhism but let's simplify it to the main type. If you really look at Buddhism, there's really no God in Buddhism. There's no personal God anyway, just a force. And Christianity says there's a personal God. In one version of Buddhism, you got the Dalai Lama, who, by the way, you've probably not realized this, but there's an occult side to that. Most people are totally unaware of it. And he says it's impossible to be a Christian Buddhist. That's what he says. That's what we say. That's what the Bible would say. So wait a minute. No, we have to, so we're going to have to rule out being, it just makes sense. Buddhist, Christian, it, it, it can't, can't be. If you look at Hinduism, well, the Hindus believe by some counts that there are 330 million different gods. Christianity says there's one. That's not compatible. We look at the Muslim faith, They have a real problem with us because we say that Jesus is God come to earth as a man in order to provide forgiveness for us so that we can be brought into right relationship with him and our life can be changed for a positive here and now, not just for heaven later. They don't even rank him as a high prophet. They say he's a prophet and he's not even very high on that food chain. So where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with something pretty simple with a A-B switch. A, they're all wrong. 
or B, one of them's right. But you, it'd be intellectually dishonest and naive. Or I mean, you, you can't ignore the differences between these different groups. There's no way that you can say they're all right. They can, you can't say they're all leading to God because one of them says there's one God, one of them says there's no personal God, one of them says there's 330 million gods. I mean, it just can't be. And what happens sometimes is because people come across in a way which is very, ah, gosh, would you please be quiet? Because the way they come across is so harsh and, un, and just, just like, it's got like zero people skills. We just want them to go away because the way they share what they believe is so sickening that we just, we just like, we can't, we can't deal with it. And so you want to say, well, yeah, okay, well, it's just, just got to be so that there's more than one way. I mean, you just can't, it sounds so arrogant to say it's only one way. But these differences are not trivial. So when people walk up to you and you're talking, I don't know if you get into conversations with people that aren't Christians, but it's really, it's really a lot of fun. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be a person that enjoys people and willing to talk to them and not nervous. And when they talk to you, they'll tell you all kinds of interesting things when they get comfortable. And one of the things that people tell me sometimes when I'm talking to them about it, they say, gosh, you just, hey, Alan, I mean, seriously, just, you guys are right. And this way they don't only phrase it, you guys are right and everybody else is wrong. What do you say? Yeah, and you get your big black Bible out and beat them over the head. <laughs> no. You say, you know what, I, th I think I feel the same thing you feel. But can I ask you a question? You know, the Hindus say there are 330 million different gods, and Christians say there's one. Would, would you kinda, can you kind of go with me that you can't both be right? You know, the... I have friends that are Buddhists, and I like them. They like me. But they say there's no personal God, and I say there is. You really can't have it both ways, can you? You know, when you think about the Muslims, they, they're saying that that. Jesus is not God. He's not even a prophet. And I'm saying that Jesus is God. Come to earth as a man, Jesus. It's even as wild as that seems. And you can kind of see that, you know, those two things just, they're not compatible. So I understand why you would say that and why you feel that. And so it's not with a sense of arrogance or that I say it. It's just a sense that these things are not compatible. So... By definition, we're forced to say they're either all wrong or maybe, just maybe, one of them's right. And if I'm going to be, you know, in with, with you right now, I'm going to have to say, you need to figure it out. And I would love to have conversations with you to help you figure it out. And no matter where you end up, I still want to be your friend and I care about you. And so if you... If you start having conversations with people, you'll find that they're out there. I mean, when you get to be a safe person to talk to, people talk to you about this stuff. And so we need to be prepared to talk about it and not, not don't go, 
all nervous, thinking, here's what you, I've got to win the moment. What's going to, they just said something, and what I've got to do right now is I've got to, I've got to win. I've got to say the thing that takes them out. That they, you know, they, there's no doubt they're going to, they're going to fall on their knees right now and, and just ask Jesus to be their leader of their life because I'm going to have the perfect thing to say. Give it up. People don't get that way in a hurry. They get that way gradually. I've used this illustration before. You've got a daughter. She's 16. She goes to the mall. She meets this guy, and she says, man, I really like this guy. She hangs around him for about 30 minutes and says, you know what? I want to marry this guy. And so she, she takes this guy and says, hey, let's go get married. So they go get married. And then she comes back home a couple hours later and says, hey, Mom, while I was at the mall, I met this guy, and I got married. What's wrong with that picture? Does even a drunk idiot do that? I don't think so. So you meet somebody, and you have a beginning conversation with somebody, and you talk to them, and you think 30 minutes later they're going to commit their eternity to Jesus just because something grand and wonderful you said in a 30-minute period? Are you serious? No, it's a process that God uses. And so when you, keep, when you get the thing started and you're a safe person to talk to and you have multiple conversations over a period of time, people can ask questions and, and God will work. You'll do your part. You'll probably mess up parts of it, but God will work in spite of all that. And it'll kind of put it all together and people will come to the realization that, you know what, maybe, man, okay, okay, let me think about it. So the first deception that Jesus is after is that there are many roads to get to a right relationship with God. Jesus said there's only one. And later on in other places, he made it really, really, really plain. He's the one. A second deception, Matthew 7, beginning verse 15, says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He switches gears. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Whoa. This next one's going to be hard to follow. The deception here is being religious. And the first part of this deception is being careful not to follow a false leader. And by the way, if you don't know me, you should be suspicious of me until you know for sure. Because one of the things I say around here is I don't want you to simply be convinced by the last most persuasive person you heard. If that's the case, you're dead meat. Because every other day you're going to hear somebody persuasive saying something and you're going to be swayed by it. We don't want that. I don't want that. You shouldn't want that. So this first thing is don't be deceived by religious leaders. Just because they're a religious leader doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. 
In the Bible, one of the people groups that is commended are these people called Bereans. It said, Paul, the apostle, went and told them things. What did they do after that? They went and checked Scripture to make sure what Paul had been saying was true. And they're commended in the Bible for doing that. And so you would be commended for doing the same. There are, there are people that are posers. They're just, for whatever reason, they decided they can make a decent living doing it. Don't ask me how that works. Anyway, first, you're going to examine them. You're going to, have to take a look at their character and just the way they live their life. But the second thing, you need to look at what they're teaching. There's a lot of false teaching out there, and it has its effect. I can, I can remember sitting on an airplane next to a young woman and having a conversation with her. She found out I was a pastor. We started talking. We had a great conversation. And she was a fascinating young woman. And she's, she was, oh, I'm all into Jesus and, and into reincarnation. Jesus and reincarnation. Now, the funny thing about that, I don't know if you're familiar with the concepts. You probably are. Hindu, karma, reincarnation. reincarnation. When it comes to the United States, they make it a, they decided, you know, I'm just going to arbitrarily change this karma reincarnation thing to, I was Joan of Arc in a previous life. I wasn't a roach. I wasn't a rat in a previous life. I was, I was a princess somewhere. You ever notice that? Well, actually what they say is that you could have been whatever. And if you're a something nasty, something gross, it's because, well, you lived a lousy life and in the next life you're getting punished for the goofy way you lived before. Which means that if you see somebody suffering, don't have any compassion on them. They're just getting what they deserve. False teaching has an effect. Our 28-year-old by the name of Amanda who uh, says she prays nightly and believes in Jesus, and she's also into to kundalini yoga, which is where she's trying to channel, get in touch with the, the forces, the energy force that's at the base of her spine. She said that that uh, energy is an ancient energy, and it helps you work with, with your energy, and you just have to learn to get in touch with it. And so, wait a minute, you're saying, okay, that's weird. I don't, go, I don't deal with any of that stuff. I don't even know anything about that stuff because I know it's nonsense. In your mind, you're saying it's nonsense. I don't, I don't deal with it. I don't talk to people with it. I don't pay attention to it. Well, wait a minute. Just because you don't doesn't mean other people don't. You ever heard of uh, Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra or Marianne Williamson or Neil Wash? You say no. Well, these people are teaching these th things or variations of these kinds of things. And you say, well, who are they? Well, I'll tell you who they are. They're some of the best-selling authors in the world today. There are people that have been featured on television shows. There are people, well, they were on Oprah. Three of the four were on Oprah. Three of the four were on Oprah's book club. People are influenced. You say, I don't even know who they are. I'm not influenced by them. Well, you may not be, but other people are. Musicians. People are doing television programs, people that are doing movies, our culture. You listen to the news and people will talk about some of this stuff. And so people are, our culture is being influenced by these kinds of writings, whether you are, are even aware of them or not. There was a, a Pew Research study that had been done and it found that Americans are mixing their traditional faith with beliefs in psychics, reincarnation, and spiritual energy. In fact, they found out that 41% of Americans believe that psychics are real and they can have some kind of 
effect on their life, and that 42% believe that spiritual energy can be located in physical objects. The problem is, is what we, people just don't know. They haven't checked it out. They're just kind of pulling things from here, there, and yonder. I'll take a little of this. I'll take a little of that. Nah, none of that. You can keep it. And so they kind of put together their own custom bundle, like they're putting together a package for their TV at home. So they take what they want and leave the rest and just make up their own version of the whole thing. And they're not really aware that there's such a thing as an authentic spirituality and there's such a thing as the occult. You may not be, because one of the things that in, in this part of the world, the occult is not as obvious as it is in other parts of the world. You go to other parts of the world, it's a bigger presence than it is here. Because one of the ways that, and you were afraid that church was going to get weird when you came, right? This is the moment it gets weird for you. You may or may not realize that there really is forces of good, God, and the angels that are faithful to him. Then there's the angels that rebelled, the number one angel that rebelled, Satan, also known as Lucifer, and the angels that went with him. We call them demons. So there are forces that, that are spiritual forces that are at work. In fact, the Bible says we don't simply wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places. What is this talking about? It's saying there's a spiritual battle taking place right now. In fact, there's a spiritual battle going on for your family, your heart, souls, and minds, and of your you and your kids and your family and your friends. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. If you look in the Old Testament, you see Daniel praying. Daniel, one of the finest men that ever lived, and he's praying. And it's 21 days later, what happens? He gets the answer. And what is revealed to him is the answer came on the first day, but there was a battle in the spirit realm that kept the answer from getting to him for 21 days. You're saying that sounds weird. Okay, may sound weird to you, but that's the reality of what's taking place, whether you're in touch with it or not. That's what scripture teaches. And so people don't always know there is such a thing as an occult. Sometimes it comes across in ways that seem, well, kind of not all that significant, and you can kind of take it or leave it, you know, trying to get information through means that aren't normal, like calling up a psychic hotline or tarot cards or something of that nature. But people say, oh, I'm just playing around with it. I don't take it seriously. But there's really no neutral or impersonal power just floating around out there that you can tap into. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to read you a few scripture verses. This is the Bible talking to you about how you should relate to some of this stuff. And in our culture, you probably don't even think about this. But here we go. Isaiah 47, beginning verse 10. You have trusted in your wickedness. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you. Disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. Keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries, your astrologers. Your, let let us, your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. They are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves. Each of them goes on in his error. Then in Zechariah it says, diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Isaiah 44. I am the Lord, the creator of all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. I make fools of fortune tellers and frustrate the predictions of astrologers. Deuteronomy 18, let no one be found among you who practices divination or interprets omens. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. 
And the second way that their cult sometimes operates is they try to help you uh, get in touch with a supernatural power. They'll do, you'll hear, maybe hear the expression, I'm channeling a spirit. And if you haven't, you've been living under a rock somewhere because the, uh, in our culture, I hear this all the time, especially West Coast celebrities. You're, you're, here, you're just, it's just all the time. They're, they're into this kind of stuff. Or you, you've heard of a seance. I know that. And so a seance is when, you know, those things are taking place. What's happening? Well, people are trying to get in touch with something. Isaiah 8 says, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Okay. So what happens when you go to a seance and all of a sudden Uncle John's there? Well, either you're being tricked, which is probably what's happened in most of the cases, or you're witnessing, experiencing a deception that is brought about by a demonic force, a demon. First scenario makes you out to be a little foolish. Second one, better be careful. Here's what the Bible would say, Jeremiah 27. So do not listen to your diviners, your mediums. They prophesy lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Just yesterday, I was on the phone, and Wicca came up. Familiar with it? It's modern-day cleaned-up witches, witchcraft. This is part of our culture now. And if you're not experiencing it, it's just because you're not hanging with people that are. Deuteronomy 18 let no one be found among you who practice sorcery, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. What I'm trying to say is there's a world of the occult, whether you're in touch with it or not. There are the angels that are faithful to God and the angels that have rebelled against God. There's two worlds. There are two forces, and there isn't anything else, and there's no neutral. But when, and so when we try to just blend in the, some of these things with our Christian faith, we're, we're playing a dangerous game. The Bible actually says that, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The Bible would tell us that Satan is incredibly beautiful. All the caricatures that you see of something ugly looking something or another, that's Hollywood, that's not the Bible. So the first thing that Jesus tells us is the deception of following a false teacher. But then the next thing in the second part of that passage I read earlier, he said, be careful about false followers people that are just posturing or posing, acting out a certain set of things in order to be seen. I hope he's wrong. Billy Graham is a guy in the last century was like a major force leading hundreds of thousands of people to accept Christ. He died not too many years ago. One of the things that he said, for which I hope he's wrong, is he made the statement he thinks that half the people sitting in a church on any given Sunday are not really Christians. That's, and a bunch of them think they are. I grew up going to church. When I was born, I was in the hospital. Some ladies from the church came to the hospital where my mother gave birth to me. While I was in the hospital, they talked my mother into signing me up on the church roll. I was literally on the church roll before I got out of the hospital. So my name was in the bed baby area before I was ever in the bed baby area. 
I went to church all the time. My, my parents were, I mean, they were there if the doors were open. They were leaders in the church. By the time I got to high school, I didn't want to go to church. I wasn't getting anything out of it. So I made excuses and said I wanted to study, which I did. I studied. And then when I was 19, I was very unhappy. I was searching for, there's got to be more life than this. And then I came to a realization by talking to another friend of mine who had become a Christian the day before. I came to the realization that I knew about God, but I didn't know God. That if you gave me a multiple choice test, I wouldn't have made 100, but I would have done pretty well. But I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I knew about him. But there was never a moment in my life where all of a sudden I realized, hey, it's not my parents' faith, it'd be me. You know what? To use Bible language, I had to get lost before I could get saved. I had to get to the point where I came to the realization that I wasn't a Christian, that Jesus was an, not, had to be more than somebody I knew about that I could answer questions about, had to become a person that I was in a relationship with. What does that mean? A relationship? Are you kidding? A re- with who? Where's he at? Show him to me. Here's the deal. By relationship, I mean this. I had to come to the place where I realized that, you know what? Ah, I need forgiveness. I knew I'd sinned. That was no problem. I had a pretty good rap sheet by then. And so I knew I'd sinned. I had no problem admitting that. But I needed to take all of that to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I'm asking you to forgive me of everything I've ever done. I'm trusting you, Jesus, to forgive me and to save me from the penalty of my own sin. And I want you to lead my life. Now, the Bible language for that is you trust in Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. So the goofy thing is, is once I got lost, I got saved. It happened real quick. For some of you this morning, here's what I'm hoping. You'll get lost and see your need to trust Jesus for forgiveness. Because that's the first thing you have to do. You have to get to the point where you realize, I have this need, and what I need to do, and here's what it means by a relationship. You're trusting Jesus to forgive you of your sin so that when the time comes, the way you go to heaven is not because you did anything good, it's because you trusted him to forgive you. He saved you from the penalty of your sin, and then you want his leadership now. You don't want just later. I, I want his leadership now, so you want him to be Lord. You want him to be leader now because he can do a better job leading your life than you can. When I did that, I had the relationship, and my life was changed, and I was forgiven. James chapter 2 says something very interesting. Verse 19, it says, Do I hear you professing to believe in one only God? Then, then, you, uh, observe, then, then observe you complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do them? Here's the point. Satan and his fallen angels know all this is true. It's not doing them any good. 
To say that everything that I've said is true doesn't do you any good until you personally trust Jesus to forgive you. Until you trust him to forgive you and lead your life. The third deception is this. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So what is the sand? The sand is what you think is true, not what Jesus said is true. It's your mixture of things that you say, this is true, this is my little custom package of things I accept is true. It'd be you saying, Here's what I believe as opposed to what Jesus has said. So the sand that you build on is whatever you believe that isn't this. The rock is what Jesus said. The rock is the truth of Scripture. And anything that's other than that, according to Jesus, this, now remember who we say this is. What we're saying is this is the God of the universe that came here to tell you that this is the truth, and I want a relationship with you. I want to restore your, our broken relationship with you. I want it to not only begin now, I want it to last for eternity. But here's what we experience in terms of culture right now. Let me read some of the things that people say. How they decide what to do. This is a quote. I would do what I thought would make me happy or how I felt because I have no other way of knowing what to do but how I internally feel. That's where my decisions come from, from me. My decisions come from inside of me, or this one. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's uh, Sheila-ism. Her name was Sheila. Just my own little voice. That's sand. Do you have your own version of sand, or do you have a faith that's based upon Jesus and what he's done, what he's taught, and what he said. I don't expect everybody to cross the line of faith today, but some of you, you may be there. If it's just the first 30-minute conversation, you're not ready. We give away all the things out there on the table, the books. All of those are designed to help you with the questions that you have. Of course, we'll have conversations with you anytime you want. When you leave, you don't have to ask. Take what you want. When you leave, if you know somebody that needs one, you don't have to ask. Take one and give it to them. And so when Jesus finished up this, this is what he said at the end, Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. Well, no, duh, it was God in human form, the guy that knew everything, so was he guessing? No. He was telling you exactly the way, that, exactly the truth of everything. There was no guess. There was no fuzz. And the reason he could teach with authority is because he knew. It was, there wasn't a guess. There wasn't a nickel's worth of guessing there. It was the, the truth, the rock upon which we are to build our lives. And so here's what my encouragement to you is. If you're not ready, pursue it. If you are ready, realize you'll never have all your answers but you're going to reach a certain point where you'll have enough answers. 
and you're going to realize, you know what, I'm ready. And so today, maybe you'd pray like this, Jesus, I don't get it all, but I get this much. Somehow or another, I'm now coming to the point where I realize that you're who you said you are. It's kind of hard for me to put it in words how I got here, but I'm here. And I know I've sinned and I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to take leadership in my life. I, I want you to lead my life. I want you to forgive me. I'm trusting you to be my Lord and Savior. And I pray that you'd help me to follow you from this point forward. And for every Christian in this room, Father, I pray that you'd help them to refocus, to reengage, and to follow you with an all-out passion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.